Hi, and welcome to the Ruby Source podcast. Today I'm joined by Dan Langevin, who's based in the US. He is CTO at Ideon. Dan, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, no problem. So, um, as always, um, start by asking a bit more about you and how you started working in programming and a bit more about your your background. So, yeah, tell me a bit more about um, about that and also how you started working with 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 Ruby. Sure. So I didn't come from a traditional software development background. Um, I did some development, learned how to program a bit when I was a kid in, in high school, did some websites and that sort of thing. But when I, I went to college, I actually studied organizational psychology, um, so didn't plan to go into software development. But I got into uh, work with a consulting firm right after school, and they had some development that they did, so I got kind of back interested in it there. Um, and then from there, I moved into another role with uh, with a startup where I had a little more flexibility, uh, started to, to build a few things on the side for them. Uh, and that actually is where I first was introduced uh, to Ruby, which you know, pretty early in the, when Rails was starting to become popular. This is probably, you know, 2006, 2007. Uh, you know, saw the all the the screencast of how you can build a blog and, uh, you know, with with generators and all that and got uh, pretty into that. Um, so I sort of taught myself um, and used it for practical purposes for stuff that I needed to do in that job to build some small scale systems, uh, mostly around uh, collecting leads for from our marketing team uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and then from there, I decided that I really wanted a position where I was a full-time engineer, um, moved into work for another startup uh, who didn't use Ruby. Um, I, that was a PHP and a couple of other languages that they was uh, was mixed in and was there for for a number of years, kind of learned the, the craft of, uh, of software development um, there, but always really was pretty interested in Ruby as a language and Rails as a framework. Uh, just a lot of it made a lot of sense to me in, in the way things are approached. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved into to start my first company, which is a, a company called Lifebooker, um, we were we were working in Ruby on Rails, um, and and really kind of doubled down on it at that point. So been doing it for a number of years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, enjoy the um, the language and the framework, and it's uh, I think there's a lot of good things about it. Downsides as well, just like everything, there's pros and cons. Um, but I think the yeah. for me, the the pros outweigh the cons. Sure, sure. And now you're CTO at Ideon. Um, tell me, tell me a bit more about about Ideon and what you guys do, and um, yeah, that sort of thing, really. Sure. So Ideon is an API middleware company, and what we do is connect insurance carriers. So insurance carriers for medical insurance, dental vision, accident, critical illness, disability, all these types of uh, these types of coverage that uh, in the US are typically uh, are typically purchased through your employer. So your employer will buy the policy and then provide it to you as an employee. Sure. So in connecting those insurance carriers and most of them have uh, what you would consider legacy systems. So systems that were built usually in the 80s or 90s, um, they use EDI and flat files to to transmit data. Um, there's there's you know very little validation or, or transactionality to the way they they present their data. 
and then a sort of new generation of technology companies that are focused around member experience, employee experience, um, HR systems, uh, benefits administration. So all the sort of user-facing aspect of insurance, uh, you know, purchase and management, and, and this is both on the individual market uh, here where people are buying for themselves, and you know, more so on the on the group space where it's going through an employer. So those companies are looking for a modern API that has transactionality that they would interact with the same way you would you'd plug, you know, a Stripe or a Plaid into your app yeah. and expect that things mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. work the way you know, the way you would expect them to. Uh, yeah. And that's actually a really big challenge in the insurance space just because of those legacy systems. So what, what we do is we sit in the middle, we provide those APIs to the more tech forward companies, and then we work with our insurance carrier partners to create the type of transactionality and validation around the exchange of data that our you know, the tech platforms are looking for without having to really modify their existing systems. So we sort of improve on the input and output of their existing systems in order to create that kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how are you finding, um, well, not how are you finding, but what what's the pros and cons around scaling a Rails code base? So one of the, you know, sort of a, a core tenant of Ruby uh, in Rails is that developers uh, should be allowed to have sharp objects. Uh, meaning that there's a lot of flexibility and you can do a lot of things in Ruby that you might might not be able to do or be a lot harder to do in other languages. Um, yeah. It doesn't give you as much structure as some others do. And that's good when if you know what you're doing and not so good if you if you don't know what you're doing. So one of the things that we've found is that having a, a fairly strong core of experienced Rails engineers who know how things, um, you know, are typically done um, in a Rails code base is really important. Um, so having less experienced engineers um, be the bulk of your team, it can be really challenging um, without those, uh, you know, kind of strong, um, you know, a strong enforcement of a particular pattern that uh, we get in, in some other, uh, some other frameworks. Um, that's in terms of how do you, you know, think about the the structure of the code base. And there are a lot of, uh, if you look at like, you know, Shopify, uh, and there are other, there are libraries that they've, they've uh, created and, and introduced, and, and there's other open, you know, fully open source stuff that is, is in use that, that provides some level of that structure. So you can see kind of the, the need for it. Um, in terms of the performance of the application itself, it's, it's pretty interesting in that, you know, in my opinion, the the trade-off between you know developer experience and productivity versus runtime performance is good for for Ruby on Rails in the vast majority of cases and in the cases where it's not we do have another tool that we we reach for uh, which is Rust in our case um, sure. so we have some um, you know we have some types of transactions we need to process so I'll give you an example um, we do rate calculation um, for insurance. So which is it's fairly complicated um, and it needs to be done for hundreds of plans and potentially thousands of people in a single request. And we want to have that come back within a couple of seconds. Um, and so implementing that in, in Ruby, uh, there really wasn't a way to get those calculations to be fast enough. Um, but what we were able to do was uh, 
build uh, Rust libraries and integrate them via uh, FFI so that we can actually drop into a lower level language and take you know, break outside of the global interpreter lock and use all the resources on the server, calculate everything really quickly and marshal it back into, uh, into a Ruby object that can be rendered. Mm -hmm. um, that is, you know, it's a bit of a, uh, you know, a left turn. Uh, it takes a little bit of work to get that, that in and working. Um, but you know, once once you have that, you have that tool in your in your toolbox, so to speak, for those really performance intensive operations. It turns out there really aren't that many of those types of things. Um, and you know, the productivity gain you get out of uh, out of you know, building everything else in Rails. You know, for example, some of our our admin screens, um, some of the you know the simple API endpoints. You know, that benefit vastly outweighs the cost of having to you know get a little creative for some of the really performance intensive pieces. And the, these are some of the performance sort of bottlenecks that you've you've run into, right? They are, yeah. So, you know, the rate calculation is a good one. We have extremely large files that we need to render. Um, so when in those cases, what we will typically do is build out a, a microservice that just does the performance intensive thing. So there's sort of two flavors of this, right? There's the things that need to be returned asynchronously in a response. Um, that we would typically reach for uh, for you know a compiled Rust app that gets uh, gets built in um, and called via Ruby. If it's a really standalone thing, um, we we might integrate that over a queue uh, and then have the uh, the more performance intensive piece being you know being run asynchronously. We use um, we use AWS step functions, for example, for some uh, very large data processing jobs that Ruby's not a, a great choice for, um, but ultimately it gets pushed back via, uh, everything's kind of analyzed, consolidated, it gets pushed back via an API into the, uh, the core database that is is running our our API that's user-facing. Um, so we're able to to manage that integration uh, in that way as well for asynchronous jobs. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned AWS, that was something that I wanted to talk to you about, because I know that when you and I have spoken, obviously prior to today, I know that you've moved from Heroku to AWS. What are the what are the pros and cons of of that? So the oh, back up a little. So we're we're in the process of of fully moving off of Heroku and onto AWS. Uh, and Heroku yeah. has served us very well for the the time that we've used it. It's it's a I really like the platform. Um, you know, it's I think they were sort of ahead of their time, uh, and they what they built is really really impressive. Um, We've been using uh, their HIPAA compliant product, uh, which did a lot of the heavy lifting for us when we were earlier stage that it would have been very, very difficult for us to do ourselves. Um, so that, that actually has been really great. The uh, the sort of limitations that we ran into are, uh, there's a couple. There's uh, one, the cost. It is significantly more expensive than running uh, on a similar type of, uh, just on Core AWS which itself sure. is even more expensive than having your own hardware. So, you know, it's uh, it's quite a bit more expensive than the cheapest you could do it for. Um, yeah. We think that AWS is sort of a, a good middle ground um, uh, for us. The second piece that we've run into is just the flexibility of compute versus memory on different types of applications. We have some that are more compute heavy, some that are more memory heavy, and just don't have that many options in Heroku for, for instance size uh, that, would really allow us to sort of optimize our, our usage. So we end up either 
over allocating, which goes back to that first problem of of cost, um, yeah. or you know under allocating, and then we're we're bumping up against uh, memory limits or or we're getting CPU bound. Um, things are slowing down. Um, so those are sort of the two uh, the two you know reasons that we uh, we made that investment to move over to AWS. Um, but I will say that it was a significant investment. It took us about a year. Um, we actually just have launched our first fully productionized apps in AWS uh, purely. We're going to move everything else over over the next month or so, um, you know, planning to uh, to sunset Heroku by uh, the middle of the summer. Sure. Um, but, you know, there was, there, was, there was a lot that Heroku gives you that uh, we had to recreate. We had to recreate the way um, environments are spun up. So obviously your production staging, your sort of permanent environments, but also the whole uh, the whole pipeline for testing uh, pull requests before they're merged, uh, for testing them once they are merged, for managing config and environment variables, because we wanted to replicate all the 12-factor best practices that Heroku gives you out of the box. Yeah. Uh, and that was a, a non-trivial effort for our DevOps team and our engineering team in order to to get everything in a, a state where we could we could feel comfortable moving it over to AWS and that we weren't losing a lot of the things that Heroku gave us. Sure, sure. And when do you think it's time to break the app up? Yeah, so this is uh it's an interesting question. Um, and this is, you know, thinking thinking through almost most every company starts with a monolith of some sort, um, and some companies keep a monolith forever. So the answer for them is it's never time to break it up. Sure. In my opinion, um, there kind of goes back to how you think about dividing up your teams and how you think about how you create value as an organization. Right. So what we try to do is we we look at what we call value streams. So like, what are we trying to deliver to a customer? Customer mm -hmm. being sometimes internal customer, sometimes it's our you know paying external customer, sometimes it's a partner, um, so sort of you know user of our our software, and so we we try to organize our teams around those value streams, uh, and we might you know early on it's you know one team and it's end to end. There's probably only one real value stream or maybe two, um, so they're maybe covering everything. But as you uh, start to I start to scale out. Well, now maybe we have, uh, you know, a couple of value streams and there's a team kind of like owning each one end to end. Now, as we start to scale up a little bit further, we might have a team that handles one piece and another team that handles another piece of kind of the same value stream and they're chained sure. together via sort of contract, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so that, I mean, that's how you think about kind of scaling up this the structure of the team. And I think that the structure of the code, it's really important that it mirrors the structure of the team. And so what I mean by that is that each team owns their their production environment and owns their code base. Um, so where I think we run have run into uh, you know the most challenges at least historically uh, uh, that I've seen is around having many teams trying to operate in a single code base, uh, and especially if they're working for various purposes in different value streams. Uh, and then it gets it starts to get pretty messy. Um, so the ideal state, and you know, you're not going to always be in this state because things are you're you're growing, you're changing, you're moving things around. But you know, if, if for ideal state is every team has sort of a clear piece of the value stream they're responsible, has clear inputs and outputs for every other team, and owns their own infrastructure and code base, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the model that we we try to trend towards, um, right? So that's not to say that 
it's the it's always the most important thing that we do at any time. And we always stop and say, okay, we have to break this team into. Let's break the app into two. Uh, that's not the case because there are there are times that that's not the right decision. But just as a guiding principle, that's sort of how we think about the structures of our code base. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. And what's uh, what's some interesting things that are happening at uh, Ideon at the moment? Yeah. So we've got a lot of uh, a lot of interesting projects. We're pretty uh, rapidly expanding our carrier relationships. We've got a number of large carrier partnerships that are uh, we'll be announcing in in the coming months. Um, we've okay. got a number of large uh, tech platform partnerships as well. Um, so we we talked a bunch about plan and rate. Uh, so the, the quoting piece. We talked about enrollment, which is the you know the eligibility uh, for uh, for individual members. Sort of like if you have a change, how does that get to the insurance carrier? Uh, we also have a, have a product around uh, what we call decision support, which is finding a doctor that accepts your plan or a plan that your doctor accepts, uh, depending on which part of the uh, which part of the uh, you know workflow you're in. Sure. Um, and you know in the you know U.S. health system, there's a lot of uh, variety in in you know which plans that an individual doctor can see. So it's actually a pretty big uh, an important decision piece uh, here. Yeah. Um, so we've got uh, you know a handful of uh, of really big partnerships um, happening there, especially on on the tech side. So uh, some pretty big names coming on board. Um, and when we do that, uh, when we add new carrier partners, especially there's an integration piece that our team takes on because it's, you know we're sort of helping them to to move forward and and modernize without having to build a lot of things on their own. Um, so there, you know, there's a there, there's a fair amount of of work uh, involved in all of that. Sure, and um, if you're bringing on new clients and that sort of thing and integrating with other people, um, does that mean that you're you're hiring for your team? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we've been expanding the team. Um, you know, probably not as aggressively as we were, uh, you know, a year or two ago, given the the overall environment, which I think everybody is feeling but we've got we've had sure. good good solid growth um you know our uh you know as we add more integrations the you know number of changes in maintenance obviously goes up so we have a, a staffing model that supports that um and you know a lot of our a lot of our growth now is kind of like doing what we do better adding more nodes into our into our network um you know as compared to lots of new features and that sort of thing um but definitely adding staff um you know as we scale up there sure and what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you if they're, you know, interested in hearing more about Ideon or if they're interested in working for Ideon or, you know, generally just having a chat with you? Sure. Yeah, I think, I think my uh, my email, so it's dan.langevin, L-A-N-G-E-V-I-N at ideonapi.com. That's the best way to reach me. Perfect. Perfect. Dan, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, it's been a pleasure to chat to you and understand more about Ideon. Yeah, it's been great speaking with you and thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you.